spent a, a lot of years uh, working to get to this point, and um, you know, to to be rewarded for it is uh, it's a pretty good feeling. And I think it just it leaves you hungrier. You know, you want more from yourself. You you know you're capable of it now, and um, I think it's it's just something uh, I'm excited for. You get get a night like this, and now you just want to continue to grow and continue to test yourself. If you're Tage Thompson, how are you not pissed? If you're a Buffalo Sabres fan, how are you not pissed? If you're the NHL, how are you not pissed? That was Tage Thompson. That was, first of all, a spectacular performance last night by Tage Thompson of the Buffalo Sabres. If you're listening to a show like this, you know what happened last night. Five goals, one assist. Five goals in the first two periods, by the way. 9-4 is the final. The Sabres dismantle the Columbus Blue Jackets. Columbus is in a very bad way, last place in the Eastern Conference. But I come back to one thing with Tage Thompson last night. Chasing history. So it's five goals after two periods last night. And what does everybody think? Hmm. I wonder what the record is. I wonder who's scored the most goals in a game. And that's Joe Malone with seven. Now, Joe Malone, very briefly, if you want to go back historically, was involved in the NHL on its first day or first night, two famous games. And for the longest time, we thought that Joe Malone may have scored the first goal ever in the history of the NHL, but it turns out it's Dave Ritchie from the Wanderers, a defenseman, in a game against Toronto. Montreal Canadiens were playing, the, uh, were playing Ottawa that day. Malone scored the first goal. Six minutes in, Ritchie scored one minute in. The goal, the, uh, the game that Malone was playing in was delayed by 15 minutes. So Richie got the record. But Joe Malone is a huge person in hockey history. One of the greatest goal scorers the league has ever known and traces all the way back to the very first game. Now, this record of seven goals was set in 1920. So Tage Thompson had a chance to chase down a record that's over 100 years old. And what happened? His ice time was dropped in the third. Why? Because you don't want to embarrass the Columbus Blue Jackets? You don't want to humiliate the Columbus Blue Jackets even more than you already are? 9-4 is the final score. Like It didn't matter whether Tage Thompson made it 12-13-4 or whatever. You have a chance to chase the record books. I've always wondered about this. As a coach, when a player gets close to a record in a blowout game, do you have an obligation to help that player chase history? Did Don Granato fumble this one and not keep firing Tage Thompson out there every second shift to at least try to tie the record? Do everything possible. I remember Ian Turnbull when he broke the, uh, the, the most goals for a defenseman record was five. I think for a few shifts in the third period, I think they dressed him as a winger, if I'm not mistaken. Like, did everything to try to get him the record. We've seen this before, whether it was historically when players are close to bonuses, everybody going around trying to make sure that he gets that point, that goal, whatever, to get that bonus. Maple Leafs fans just saw this with Mitch Marner as he was about to tie and then uh, and then uh, inevitably beat the record. The whole team sort of turned itself upside down to make sure that Mitch Marner was going to score an empty net goal, was going to get the record. This is the same thing the Washington Capitals are going to go through when Alex Ovechkin, who's now 99 away, is significantly closer to Wayne Gretzky for the all-time goals lead. Tate Thompson scored five goals last night. The last time we've seen that was Daryl Sittler in 1976. Oh, sorry, six goals Daryl Sittler had. He had a chance to tie Sittler. He had a chance to tie Red Berenson, Sid Howe, Cyan, Corb, Denany. A number of players have scored five. He could have moved up into the history books that much more, and he had a chance to challenge one of the ultimate records, and that is seven goals in a game. But in the third period, he had five shifts, three minutes and 55 seconds of ice time, Overall in the game, Tage Thompson only skated 13 minutes and 56 seconds. He averages 18 minutes and 30 seconds per game. Again, great night for Tage Thompson. But how are you not pissed? Welcome to the program today.
This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, coming up on the program, Elliot's going to drop by as he normally does at the top of hour two. He's got a couple of things to do here. Lance Lasowski from the Buffalo News will talk more about the Sabres and Tage Thompson. And I am sure that Mike Rupp, one of the most opinionated hockey observers and analysts from the NHL Network, will have an opinion on this one as well. Rupper joins me now. How are you doing today, Mike? What's up, Jeff? How are you doing, buddy? Uh, I'm good, and I'm, I'm a, a couple of minds on what we saw with the Buffalo-Columbus game last night at Nationwide. First of all, I don't know how you can't be in awe of Tage Thompson. Like, five-goal performance, outstanding. He's scoring them in different ways. He's scoring them from different places on the ice. He's, uh, he's becoming appointment-watch television. Like, when the Buffalo Sabres are playing, even if you're not a fan, like, at least drop in to see what Tage Thompson is doing. Well, to say nothing about what Rasmus Dahlin is doing, but really you want to watch and see what this behemoth in the middle for the Buffalo Sabres is doing. But there's a real big part of me, and I can't get it out of my head. Maybe you can talk me down off the ledge here, Rupper, that says he's two goals away from the record, which was set in 1920. So you're chasing history. You're about to smash a record. You have the potential, rather, to smash a record that is over 100 years old. And you only get just a little bit shy of four minutes of ice time in the third period. You've got five goals after two periods. And then essentially what? Because you don't want to humiliate Columbus even more. You say, screw the record books. Screw putting Tage Thompson next to Joe Malone. We don't want to offend the Columbus Blue Jackets. Like, walk me through the thinking here, Rupper. What am I missing? Or maybe are you on the same page as me? It's a great point. I, to be honest with you, I never looked at what his... Uh, time on ice on obviously i heard it on the intro when you're coming in here um it's i never really pay attention to that it was more just the surface level of watching what he's doing and you know knowing that he had the five points after the first period four goals then it's like our run we're on tage watch here and, and obviously everyone on yeah on lines are, are we is this daryl sittler time like is this what is this what we're doing here i guess yes. my big question to you is and i don't know um Maybe you can help me in on that. But some of these records that were in place, like what was the temperature? What was the gauge then? Like when, when, when Daryl got 10 points, was that like, yep. you know, how did it play out? Like how was the attitude? Was it like, hey, this is something historic. Like let's run with this and throw them out. I, I don't know how those things happened then because I would have to assume that some of the same it, thought process yeah. was happening, right? It was, see, I, I still maintain that it was a little bit different. Um, that there were people that, you know, when you were close to a record, even if you were blowing out a team, you went for it. Like, there were yeah. the, the Maple Leafs in that game, they were playing the Boston Bruins, and Jerry Cheevers had just come back from the WHA, who was playing in Cleveland. And, you know, Jerry's sitting at the end of the bench, and he looks up at Don Cherry, who's coaching, and he put a towel over his head, like, I am not going in to clean up on this one. So they left a guy by the name of Dave Reese in net. Now, this is the last game Dave Reese ever played in the NHL. And the Maple Leafs just kept firing Daryl Sittler out there over and over and over again. And one of the other examples, Ian Turnbull scores five goals um, as a defenseman um, to to set the NHL record. And I swear, I got to go back and check this, but somewhere rattling around my brain, I think it even got to the point, Rupper, where they dressed Turnbull as a winger for a couple of shifts just to try (laughs) to get him that record. Like, it seems as if, like, for these monumental records, like, embarrass a team who cares like we're chasing history and ultimately that's where it comes down to you know if you're if you're Don Granado sure you're the Buffalo Sabres coach and sure there's a respect to the other team and you don't want to you know trounce them and and make it make it horrible for them but do you not have an obligation to at least give Tage Thompson a shot at history like I get it like this is a big deal five goals is enormous and what a performance but he was like right on the verge of history here Two goals yeah. away of tying a record that stood for over a hundred years. How do you not put him out there every second shift? I don't get it. Yeah, you know. Again, I didn't think about this till you kind of brought it up now. Um, but it's it's something where I think that's kind of um, feeding into what you're saying here too is the fact that he had the, he had the the four goals in the first. So with that first intermission. I think we saw which way the game was going as far as securing your your two points. And then you've got uh, four goals for Tage Thompson, five points. I think at the intermission, I I am sure, I'm I'm sure at some point someone had to be like, "Mm, this is, this is something here. Like this could be uh, historic. I mean, we were all thinking that, how would they not? 
So in that moment, it's like, yeah. how are we going to assess this? How are we handling this the rest of the game? I don't know. I mean, uh, it, it was, uh, it, it's a valid point. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's, uh, Tage Thompson's probably never going to say his, uh, express how he feels on it. He's going to, you know, kind of speak the company line, but maybe he's a player too, that I've been on teams with guys that have been doing something special and you're even, I mean, much smaller scale, but even chasing a hat trick and it's like, or chasing a, a certain goal or, or a streak. And it's like, Hey guys, I'm good. Like, let's just, you know, we got the game. That's what we came here for. So I don't know. There's a lot of things that come into play, but good point by you. I mean, it's, it, that that's not many minutes. It's under his average by quite a bit. Uh, we could have seen history last yeah. night. Uh, we really could have. Um, okay, so outside of my, you know, grousing about, you know, history not getting threatened, uh, <laughs> wh- where are you at? On, where are you at on Tage Thompson? We can talk a lot about Tage Thompson today. Like, what a wonderful yeah. performance um, that was yesterday for Thompson. I think we're all. I mean, it's first of all, it just, it just looks weird seeing someone that big in the middle. A, we're not used to that, and I think we're used to seeing players that are that huge with that skill set. Like, you know, when Jean Beliveau came around, one of the things was, wow, we had never seen a big man be able to move like that. And then Lindros came around and said, wow, we've never been able to see a big man move like that. And now here we are with Tage Thompson. And not that I'm saying he's going to be Lindros or John Beliveau, but here we are seeing the same things about another big man in the middle. Yeah, yeah. so I've got these guys in, in history. I mean, you could talk when we speak about basketball too. And, uh, LeBron James comes along. I mean, I'm from Ohio. LeBron, I have mutual friends with him. It's like it's easy, like for me to be like LeBron's the best basketball. Player. No, Michael Jordan. No one will ever touch Michael Jordan. In my in my opinion, and I'm I'm very protective of the history with in regards to players like that. So when we talk about hockey, yeah, there's never going to be another Wayne Gretzky. Uh, there's never going to be another Mario. Uh, they did it in their own way. That's what made it. Like they, they are there, and and we might see different variations of players. But I know that a lot of people have yep. said. And, and at first, when I heard Tage Thompson getting the Mario comparisons, I was like, whoa, 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 whoa! I, mm, come on, pump the brakes. And then you start watching pump the them. Breaks there. And but I do, Jeff. Like I see Mario glimpses. Like I, I, I see the glimpse. That, you know, we're not saying he's Mario Lemieux and he's going to be an all-time great, but he does things. And I think that's to your point. He, it's foreign to us. We don't see a guy with that size, with yeah. those hands, that skating ability, play that position, and do the things he can do, highlight real goals on a nightly basis, take over games. I mean, he has glimpses. And when I say he's got glimpses of Mario and other people say that, that's a huge honor, right? Anytime you're mentioning the same sentences as those guys. But here's a question for you that I got is, and I was thinking about this yesterday, mm-hmm. and I love watching how trades come full circle. And I, 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 I say this, I'm going to ask you this. Do you think St. Okay. Louis regrets that trade at all? No, they got a cup. I don't either. Bang on. It's the ruthless pursuit of the cup. Now, yes. I think the Buffalo the, the, Sabres you have would, a franchise you would player. Sacrifice, yes, you would sacrifice yep. anything to win. You'd sacrifice the next 50 years of your franchise to win a cup in this year, ask, right? Ask, they, any, ask, any, ask, anyone, ask anyone in Toronto what they would, what they would sacrifice for a Stanley yes. Cup. 100%. 100%. So you got take, the Conn Smythe winner yeah. and a Stanley Cup from that. And at that time, it was... Wow, did Buffalo get fleeced? Like, can you imagine giving up Ryan O'Reilly and this ends up being the captain of this team? They win the set. Hold on a second. Let's let this thing play out. And now we're seeing it play out. And that's a decision that Buffalo uh, would take 10 times out of 10 now because they're seeing what they're getting in Tage Thompson. I, it's cool. I love watching it. Yeah. You got to give trades time, you got to let them play out. And that's just a perfect example of two teams that really made out in their deals. Uh, they really did. Um, okay, so to, to other things from uh, from last night, I mean, the Buffalo Sabres game was the one that was getting tons of headlines. You know, I don't want to make too much. Again, I'm going to go on another blowout here. Um, but the Edmonton Oilers game, you know, we, we put this out and we got a lot of interesting responses and some of them revolve around, well, Tage Thompson. But the Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl show, is there anything better than that going on in the league right now? And that backhand pass to make it 7-1 to yesterday on the Connor McDavid wraparound was a thing of beauty. 
one of the best passes I may have ever seen. Like that's how that's where I put that. Like that is one of the we're watching. So I'm on NHL Network and and we've got the kind of like the um, you know the red zone kind of feel on NHL tonight where you're just going from game to game um, when they're scoring chances, power plays, live looks, whatever. And so we see this play. So I don't know this is going in at the point when I'm seeing it. It probably has happened in real time, but I'm getting it maybe a minute later, right? And so this play yeah. comes up on screen, and you see Connor kind of at the blue uh, – sorry, it was, it was Leon coming up to the blue line, and he kind of cuts back real tight, power turn, bang, got in a little speed. And then you see Connor, and he has a little uh, exchange with Connor, uh, and then Connor kind of gets lost off to the other side. And the shot shows it. I'm like, Connor knows – Connor and Leon are on the same page here. Like, please tell me he does not give him this backdoor pass from uh, across the ice. Right, and obviously it wasn't necessarily back door, but from across the ice, backhand, heavy, heavy backhand. The timing of it was perfect. I was on with Jody Shelley last night, and Jody's like, honestly, and he brought up a great point. <laughs> in practice, if you if you gave, I'd say ninety nine percent of the players in the league in practice with no other players on the ice, you're going to skate this route. I'm going to do this, and I'm going to backhand pass it to you right on the tape, full stride. I don't know if anybody can do it. He did it in a game. Mm-hmm. He did it in a game. Thread the needle right on Connor's stick. I mean, it was one of the greatest passes I've seen. But, no, as far as what you don't know what you're going to get. You don't know. I mean, we're watching and we're saying, wow, what a night here. That, that's what makes these guys special and great. It's like almost like they have that the, the extraterrestrial uh, pickup of, oh, Tage Thompson was that. Hang on one second. And now in the late yeah. game, they're pulling this off, and Connor takes over the, the, you know, the scoring lead again. He's, he's, he's like, it's just it's it's mind blowing. There's there's no better ticket in town than than twenty nine ninety seven on the ice. You know, it's it's um we talked a lot certainly around Hall of Fame time about Henrik and Daniel and how they just have this innate ability to like Burroughs used to talk about how they communicated like dolphins made these sounds and they just indicated <laughs> where they were and everybody each guy knew where to put the puck. Like, I don't know that we've seen anything like this since the Sedines, like how they're just, how they have this, this ability to read off of each other. And I don't know if there's a scarier thing in the NHL right now than those two guys on a two on one in overtime. Like there are some things that are automatic or pretty much automatic. Like a four on three in overtime is, is pretty much automatic. And I, I think Rupert, to your point, you know, 97 and 29 on a two on one in overtime or in any time, really it's as close to an automatic as we have right now, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and, and that's, I mean, overtime is a different animal in itself, but yeah, I mean, they've been, they've been like that for a few years now where you, in overtime, you just, it's always that connection. And that's the, the guys that, that hook up for the winner for Edmonton. But, um, you know, we were talking the other day too. It's about, here's the thing. You got to know who's on the ice and you know, when those two are on the ice, either one of them are on the ice. And that's the weapon. I think that Jay Woodcroft has that you can get really creative with. And at times I'd like to see him actually get more creative with, you can throw teams for loops. I've been on the other side. I've been there. I've said, I've, I was there when uh, you're playing against certain yeah. teams and it's just like, we want this guy on the ice and that guy on the ice when those players are on the ice. Like, it throws the whole other team into a tizzy. You can't find a rhythm. And so, like, if I'm him, if I'm Jay Woodcroft, even if I'm playing those two together at times or, or, or on a line, I'm like, all right, first shift of the game, let's go let's go, Connor Leon on the same line. And guess what? They're coming back on, on shift three in the mm. game, right? And then uh, on shift five, we're going to go Connor. And then in shift six, it's going to be Leon. You know, like it would, you would just be, you're going to have to accept the fact that you're going to have mismatches and mismatches will favor Edmonton every single time with those players. But, um, you know, I, I just find that these guys, we were talking about the other day, like, how do you, how do you stop them on an odd man rush? You don't, you don't let them get an odd man rush. What does that mean? You don't, you, you, you don't play hockey the way you know it. When those guys are on the ice, you do everything thinking about, keeping them as far away from your net as possible. So uh, honestly, they, and, and, and I think that's how you have to almost treat, like I almost think that it gets to the point where I don't want my top line out there against them. I, I want guys out there yeah. who we don't rely on to score and just say, you know what? Every decision you make, it, don't even think about scoring. I don't care if you shoot the puck this game. 
This you, everything you do is to make sure you're managing the puck and getting it down low. I'm serious, like, and that's how. Uh, again, I, I'm not sure that line or any line in history could do anything to stop these guys. But John Madden, Jay Pendalpo, mm-hmm. Sergey Breland in New Jersey, Lou Lamoureux said, "I don't care if you ever score a goal, ever. You guys can finish zero zero and zero on this season. Just keep the puck out of our net." John Madden won the Selkie. Team won the Stanley Cup, uh, you know, whatever. I, I, I don't even know if that would necessarily work against those guys, but, I mean, the only way to stop them on a two-on-one odd man rush is to simply not let uh, their team have the puck, and uh, that's that's easier said than done. So, to another great duo. Um, we talked about Leon Dreisaitl and Connor McDavid. Um, listen, I we all understand what Colorado is going through right now. It is brutal. You know, that's the Eagles. That's not the Avalanche. This is the AHL team right now that we're seeing with Colorado. It is vicious. Now, the Boston Bruins don't care one second about the injuries. Oh, well, we've dealt with our own as well. So, Boston beats Colorado 4 nothing yesterday. And one of the themes that we've seen here with the Boston Bruins in the last little while is the combination of Charlie Coyle and Taylor Hall. Um, For whatever reason, I mean, listen, you played, you know, some guys just have chemistry, some guys just don't. But that battery of Coyle and Hall have been outstanding. Now, you can make the argument, listen, Taylor Hall is making way too much money to be a third-line player. Okay, I understand that. But all you can do is, as a head coach or Jim Montgomery, you play with what you have and you don't worry about where the decimal point is. Do you have a thought on this resurgence that we're seeing from Taylor Hall and maybe just a general thought rupper on the Boston Bruins who, you know, you kind of feel bad for Colorado, but I don't think anyone's going to feel bad for a team that just won the Stanley Cup. You know, Boston just went in there and just waxed them. Yeah. Uh, first, let me start with Colorado. I, they're going through it. They're going through a lot what Vegas did last year uh, as far as man games lost, big time players being lost at the same time for long stretches. We saw what that did to Vegas not making the playoffs. It's kind of a similar situation. I think this could be a blessing in disguise for them because there was question marks with the depth players Colorado lost. Who's going to answer these? Who's going to fill in these roles? Going to take on more? There was the new hook conversation, the comfort conversation. Are those guys yeah. going to have to play outside their boots a little bit? There's the, you know, the Evan Rodriguez. This is going to smoke a lot of things out. So when this team is healthy, um, I think they're going to really have an understanding of what they've got and what they need and what they don't need. So I think this could work in their benefit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still think that they'll manage to get by through this next four weeks or whatever, and they get their bodies back, and they're going to be a good team again. Boston, I've always said, I said on this show with you, I, I evaluate a contending team by looking at their third line. And if you can look at certain teams, third line, um, I don't even need to look at the rest of their roster. I, I feel like I can get a real gauge. Because uh, if you have Taylor Hall on your third line, that tells me that you, you're you're set up pretty well. Uh, you're set up pretty well above him. But also, I mean, you could also argue, well, yeah. usually I mean, if you see Taylor Hall on the third line, you don't have any stats, anything to go off. You could be like, well, that guy's really struggling. That's not a good thing. Well, yes, but that also means that he's not playing well enough to surpass anybody above him. So you're still getting guys above him that are playing well in the lineup. But anyways, my point here, Charlie Coyle, is slotted appropriately now. I played with him in Minnesota, loved his game. Um, he he is a third-line center, though, and he could potentially be the best third-line center in the National Hockey League. I thought this when I played with him in Minnesota, but it was like he was kind of teetering on that. Is he a second-line guy? Is he a first-line guy? Um, he didn't, he's not consistent enough scoring in, in that role to be a, a top-line center, but uh, he can make things happen. He's super skilled. We call him Baby Gronk up there. Obviously, being a Massachusetts <laughs> boy, uh, he was—he's yeah. a manchild. Like he is a manchild, a freak of nature. What he could do physically, and Taylor Hall now, I think, is in a situation where I think Taylor Hall is one of those players. There's nothing wrong with it. I mean, it's—it's—he's better off not being the guy. We've seen him be able to be the guy. He won the Hart Trophy in New Jersey, took him to the playoffs. He can be the guy. He certainly was that year. But I think yeah. Taylor Hall's at his best when he's he, – he's a – I used to think when he was in Edmonton, we'd play and I'd watch him and these spectacular things that he would do. And then, you know, there sometimes he would do things that like, ooh, that wasn't a great – he was like a wild horse. I always con- considered him to be like – uh, a wild stallion like right he has all the things going for him but he, he's just a little too unpredictable in a good way and in a bad way at times and so now it's like 
he can freelance. He can be the artist he wants to be now because he's not the guy. The guy's pasta. The guy's uh, Bergeron, yeah. um, Marchand. Like now he fits in perfectly. Like he's playing. He's playing free. I don't care how much money you're paying him. You're on a third line now with Trent Frederick and Charlie Coyle. That team's loaded. Like they've got weapons galore. Yeah. So it's a tough, tough pick, a uh, tough scheduling, I guess, for Colorado when all this stuff, you know, the blank hits the fan. It's like, oh, we got arguably the best yeah. team in hockey coming in. So that was a tough one. So it, I, I see. I'm, I'm with you. I am. I'm in love with talking about third lines. <laughs> like I'm with you, Rupper. So, he, so he, here's here's my here's my conundrum. I'm trying to figure out which is a better third line: that third line in Boston that you talk about, or the Carolina third line with Jordan Stahl. Speaking of Gronk, uh, Jordan Stahl, Jordan yeah. Martinook, and <laughs> Jesper Fast, or uh-huh. what we've seen out of the Calgary Flames with Adam Rizicka, Michael Backlund, and Blake Coleman, who again last night were outstanding. I'm I'm really poor at ranking these things. You want to have a shot at it, or, or am I missing one of the best? Yeah. I, is there another third line that I'm missing out on? Because to me, those are the those might be the top three. Yeah. So uh, the the Calgary one's been awesome. Uh, I mean, this is one that I think is a little bit newer to the party as far as being a, a top third yes. line. So let's yep. see how long that that, yep. that continues to go. Uh, Carolina's is an interesting one because Jordan Martinuk's been incredible what he's done this year with his opportunity. Um, but remember last year that was fast stall and need a rider. And that was awesome. So they've been kind yeah. of doing that for a while. And that's what made Carolina so dangerous last year. So that, yeah, I think that team's right at the top. I, there's no, there's no third line right now. I think that's, that's, you know, comparable necessarily uh, to that level of Boston's, but here's one that's interesting. And this is a little prediction that, that, that uh, I'm going to go with. The New York Rangers. Okay. So they come into this season. We all know New York Rangers, very yeah. similar actually to Edmonton in regards to what, you know, both conference finals in their respective conferences. And both teams yep. coming into this year to get back to where they were, the big pivotal pieces were is it going to be Heedle, Kako, and Lafreniere? Can they all take that next step? And in Edmonton, it was Yamamoto, mm-hmm. Puyarvi. Uh, are they going to be able to take that next step? That's going to be the difference for these teams to move forward. So the first stages of the season, there's been issues in, in New York. And then I was working, actually, the, the game the other night against St. Louis, third period, or end of the second, actually. Uh, Gerard Gallant shakes up the lines. Mika's advantage ad with Kako and Lafreniere. Lask gets one and one in the third period. He's the star of the game. Last night, Kako gets the first goal in that game. So anyways, the trickle-down effect, if those guys can keep performing, I think we're on the verge of seeing an awesome, slotted third line in New York. And I think it'll get to the point where you'll have Heedle. <laughs> I think you're going to get to the point where you're going to yeah. have Heedle uh, that's going to be playing on the second line with Panarin and maybe Kraftsov. Yeah. And then you're going to go third line of Trocek, Kreider, and probably Julian Gauthier. And if it gets to there, now all of a sudden, I just want to throw this out there because I know you'll be watching the third line, and I will too. Yeah. That one could be in the conversation, yeah. but, I mean, that's that's kind of hoping for. So, But, yeah, the third lines are, are – uh, I'm obsessed with watching them too. You know, they, um, it's it's interesting too because we saw Trocek and Kreider last night um, playing together, and we did see Heedle and Gaudreau uh hooking up albeit you know that that's Barkley Goudreau and I don't think he's going to be um he would be the the right wing on that proposed second line long term but I think that there's I think we're already starting to see the hints of it right now Rupert like I think you're 100% onto that one um and the idea of Kreider Trocek and who did you have on the right side there Goche Julian Goche yeah that's a strong line that's so those are those are really Big strong wingers, but, but see, that's what you need on your, your third line. Yeah. Your third line has to have yeah. your most identity. You know what I mean? Your third line. So when you talk about stall, fast, and in Martinook, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Their defensive play, strong defensive play. Yeah, that's who they are. So when we're talking about the third line in uh, in Boston. Speed. Um, there's speed. Taylor Hall, Charlie Coyle can fly. Trent Frederick's a great skater for his size. Like there's, you know, there's a. So when you're talking about Trocheck and Kreider together, that's straight line hockey. That's predictable hockey for your yeah. line mates. So um, I'm bullish on, on that hopefully becoming a thing. 
We could do this all day. Uh, we're out of time, my man. It's always good catching up. And uh, love the third line talk. Let's uh, let's pick that conversation <laughs> up next time we chat. Hey, let's do it. Hey, may- maybe at some point we'll we'll get the fourth line talk too. Because I'm always down with that as well. <laughs> Uh, I'm down with that as well. Bottom six for life. Uh, listen, um, are you? By the way, are you? Are you with me that they should have just played the blank out of Tage Thompson last night in that third period? Chasing history, never man. Saw you owe it to the game, Don yeah. Granado. Never. This is what makes you great, and why I love you, Jeff. I never thought about it once, but now that you're <laughs> making me think about it, I think you should have assessed at the first period. What are we doing? Are we going for this for the kid, or are we not? And uh, yeah. frankly, yes, you should have played more. Yeah. All right, I've got you on board. Awesome. Thanks, Rupper. You be good, pal. We'll check back soon. Thanks. You too. Enjoy. There he is, the great Mike Rupp from the NHL Network. Um, Elliot Friedman is going to be stopping by the top of Hour 2. Uh, that's the normal Elliot spot, but always great catching up with uh, with our man Mike Rupp. Uh, Lance Sosowski is going to be dropping by here in a couple of moments. We're going to pick up the conversation. I'm not going to bang it too loud um, talking about, you know, Tage Thompson and his night last night, but we got to give a little more concert to this idea that, man, you're chasing history. Uh, Lance Sosowski from the Buffalo News joins me in a couple of more moments. Um, the future, both immediate and long-term for the Buffalo Sabres, as the Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network. Big guests and bigger opinions on everything happening in Leafsland. Real Kipper and Born. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. So a relatively light night around the NHL this evening. Los Angeles Kings facing off against the Toronto Maple Leafs and the Preds and the Bolts. Both those go at 7 o'clock Eastern. It is the Red Wings and the Panthers. 7.30 Eastern. Watch that one on Sportsnet 360. It is the Jets and the Blues, the Senators, and the Dallas Stars. Welcome back to the program. Jeff Merrick along with you. Pleased to be joined now to talk more about the big topic of the uh, of the day, which was the topic of last night, and that is Tage Thompson. Uh, Lance Lasowski joins me from the Buffalo News. Lance, how are you today? Thanks for being aboard. Doing great. Thanks, Jeff. Just thinking back to that game last night. There hasn't been a dull moment covering the Sabres uh, during my four-plus years on the beat. I've seen a lot of different things covering that team. But, yeah, last night was yeah. uh, a completely different one. Okay, you might think that I'm petty. You might think that I'm like, well, what are you doing raining on the parade here? It was a wonderful night. But there's a big part of me, Lance, that looks at, looks at last night and says, okay, five goals in two periods. The record is, is seven. The record is over 100 years old, set by Joe Malone in 1920. Okay, so you have a chance to knock down a significant piece of hockey history and get Tage Thompson in the record books. How are you not firing him out there every second shift? How do you only give him three minutes and 55 seconds of ice time? How is like the whole team and the coaching staff and everyone back home in Buffalo not trying to, to will Tage Thompson into at least tying, if not breaking this record? Oh, you saw Jeff Skinner and Alex talk just forcing passes to Tage Thompson in the second and third periods, I guess. Oh, yeah. Sort of the fire drill at times that that game became <laughs> with the four goals against. I think Don Grado had to pump the brakes a little bit and keep them to about 13 minutes of ice time in that game, which is really hard to believe. But, yeah, everybody knew what was at stake there. The players were trying to get him the puck. And, yeah, everybody from Buffalo, the ones who could watch it, uh, were – yeah, they were hoping that he was going to pull it off. If the game was closer, hey, you never know. You know, I, I honestly, like, I, I'm just, I, I, and the more that I think about it, the more I'm just like, like that was such a glorious opportunity. Smash this hundred, hundred year old record. Uh, maybe it's, uh, maybe I'm reading in too much into it. I don't think I am, but I just think to look at the situation like this and say opportunity squandered. Until you say, well, hold on a second here. What's to say Tage Thompson can't score five goals again? Like, here's the remarkable thing about Tage Thompson. We, we've always talked about how there's only a couple of players around the NHL that are must-watch television. You know, oh, you got to watch Ovechkin. Oh, you got to watch Connor. Yeah, you got to watch Connor and Leon. Oh, you got to watch Kaprizov. There's a ton of players you have to watch right now, and I would say that Tage Thompson, and not just because of last night, but Tage Thompson consistently, going back to last season, is one of those guys like, he has become appointment viewing. Like even if you're not a Sabres fan, you at least have to drop in on a Sabres game every time they're playing just to see what Thompson is doing. 
Well, he's had two two six-point games in the last five weeks alone. The way that he plays at that size, the stick handling, the release on that shot, the skating, there's, I mean, we haven't seen a player with that kind of skill set. I'm not making comparisons, but, I mean, Lemieux is the, the only one with that size and, and the stick handling and tight spaces we see from Thompson. And he's gotten even better, you know, from last year to this year. Hard to believe, right? There was a lot of talk when the Sabres gave him that $7 million extension. There was obviously risk involved in it, right? There was one season of production, playing a new position. He showed up, and he's even better in puck battles. He's more consistent when it comes to the defensive side of his game. Face-offs have improved. He is just a much more well-rounded player. And at this age, it just it's a development story we haven't seen in the league. And well, I, I really can't think of another example where a guy switches positions and it just clicks for him like it does his his story is just something else altogether so to see him in in the scoring race with guys like mcdavid yeah it's 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 difficult to fathom but he's doing it every night at this point it that that, that's i'm glad you brought that up because that's one of the great underreported parts i think about the tage thompson story is like it's very rare that you look at a player and you say okay, he's struggling on the wing. Let's give him more responsibility and make him a center. <laughs> All of a sudden, you know, here's, you know, here's like, it's like, um, I've sort of compared it to, you know, um, trying to solve a Rubik's Cube, but the Rubik's Cube is fighting back at the same time. Like, that's kind of what it's like. It's like, you know, as a winger, you can kind of table hockey it a little bit, right? Like, this is my lane. I'm up and down and patrolling center like in a lot of ways you're, you're well, certainly you're more over the uh, all over the ice you have more defensive responsibility you have more room to paint with certainly but it's a much more challenging with all the respect wingers listening right now it's a much more challenging position i think this is one of the great you know stories that we don't talk about with tage thompson it's like he's struggling here here's a new encyclopedia to read now go play hockey after reading it such a unique story you look at he missed all but 17 games in the 2019-20 season because of a shoulder injury. And he was right on the cusp of of figuring it out then. Got promoted, worked his way back to the NHL, injured in his first game back, showed back up at training camp the following year, started the season on a line with Taylor Hall and Jack Eichel. Looked like he was going to figure it all out. He only got about several games before he was in healthy scratch territory under Ralph Kruger bigger stronger Mm -hmm. he really added to his frame he was lanky before he was trying to always win one-on-ones couldn't find time and space to unleash that shot give don granado credit dating back to their time at the 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 development program in plymouth granado coached him there he had him as a center and he always thought when the timing is right this kid's physically ready to do it i mean this is what i want so when granado became head you know interim coach in march 2021 it's hard to believe it's already been that long but yeah, it's one of the first things he kind of had in his mind. And But even then, I mean, teammates, they always raved about Thompson's skill in practice. Wow, this kid, once he figures it out, it's going to be unbelievable. But even then, the move to center, a lot of guys had doubts internally. So when T kind of turned it on, yeah, I think now they're not surprised anymore. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Ralph Kruger there a second ago, and we think of the the feud with Jeff Skinner and scratched and fourth line and scratched and fourth line and, you know, uh, tried to get buried in the meetings with Newport, trying to figure out what we're going to do here with uh, with Skinner. And, you know, last season was real good with the 33 goals. This year he's over a point a game. You know, we talk about comeback players, uh, players that have seen glory and come back, and we think of Eric Carlson. Um, I think you can make the case, too, for a player like Jake DeBrusque in Boston. Um, I think we throw Jeff Skinner in that mix. Like, there were those, I mean, you were right there for it. There were those dark days, uh, specifically under Kruger, where we were wondering, like, is Jeff Skinner, even when, you know, this era is over, if he's ever going to be able to get it back? Not only has he got it back, he's playing on one of the top lines in the NHL with one of the biggest headline makers in the NHL, and He's over a point per game. Very quietly, I might add, over a point per game for Jeff Skinner. Do you have a thought on him? Uh, a bizarre chapter in Sabres history when you look back at the, at Kruger, the whole Kruger-Skinner situation. They they gave him that huge contract, and Ralph Kruger puts him on the line with Riley Shane and Curtis Lazar. With all due respect to those two players, great guys, not a great fit. And I think to, to Skinner's credit, not only is it opportunity, a better system that's a fit for his skill set, I think he's become a better player. He's stronger on the forecheck. He's become a lot better in tight spaces in terms of not only 
finding shot lanes and getting in better scoring areas. He's setting up his line mates. The assist total is on pace for a career high by a wide margin. And with that top line moving the way that it is, with Tuck on right wing, Thompson down the middle, there's no there's no sign of them slowing down. And Skinner's had some bad puck luck in terms of goals too. So I would just wonder what that, that point total would look like if he hadn't hit some some crossbars, some posts just along the way this season. Yeah. You know, the Sabres are an interesting team. I, uh, I had a conversation with someone from another team a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking... Um, you know, we were, we were, we were talking about trades and, you know, Kevin Adams, you know, probably looked at this team and said, yeah, we're, we're not there to, to do this in the off season to bring in new bodies. You know, we're, we're still not anywhere near the top of our, what's going to be our winning cycle. Um, so players got resigned, certainly we, we all those, all of those headlines. Um, but I look at the team now and I, I kind of say, Lance, like, okay, they've identified the core for their future they've locked them up. We all have a good idea of what the core or the base of the Sabres team is going to look like for the next, I don't know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years. It's time to put the team together now. Like the, the core is there. Okay. So your Tage Thompson's and your uh, Rasmus Dahlin's like the, the core of all this has been put together and a lot of them have been locked up long-term. Do you think that Kevin Adams looks at this now and says, okay, that lifting is done. Now we need to put the team together. We don't need more prospects. We need players to fill out this team. Agree or disagree? I agree. There's a balance there. Kevin Adams has shown since he took over the job that it's all about patience. They're they're still giving Casey Middlestad an opportunity to see if he can figure out his game, but even strength. Victor Olsen is another guy. So you want to have some some prospects waiting the wings, but there's no question this team has stockpiled a wealth of talent. They have cost certainty now in terms of, okay, what's Tate Thompson going to cost? Matias Samuelson, that's a very team-friendly contract. They know what Darlene's going to be, mm-hmm. that number. They're going to have Paterka and, and oh, Quinn yeah. for pretty cheaper for the next couple of years. So there is a big opportunity to spend and, and use your assets to pick somebody up. There's two areas that are very clear to me um, in the, the short term. Another defenseman, of course. Chikrin makes a ton of sense there. The contract, they need to take yeah. weight off of those top four defensemen. Somebody who could play 20, 25 minutes. When they lost Samuelson and Yoki Haru, this team was a shell of itself without those two guys. You need another big body on the back end. Another one's goal, right? They're still trying to figure out the goalie situation. Craig Anderson has been stellar in his role, but at 41 years old, 20th NHL season, he can't he can't be the guy right now. Uko Pekalukkanen's been very shaky since he got called back up. Eric Comrie's going to be out for a few more weeks. Not easy to acquire a goalie right now. And Devin Levi, of course, is is the prospect everybody's keeping an eye on. It, it's just that you know they're going to need that one A, and I think it's they're still evaluating to see okay, is Comrie going to be that guy? How's Lukanen looking in terms of yeah. his development track? before they do something there and they're going to need to get some, some grit in the bottom six, whenever that may be. Now it's, you know, you look at the prospect pool, you look at what they have on their roster right now, some size and some jam and their game is what they're going to need, especially, Hey, if you're in it, you know, if, if mm-hmm. they move up the standings with what they have right now, they're going to need to be, you know, to be able to play those tighter games. You're not going to be getting all the rush chances and scoring nine goals a game. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm with you and I'm, you know, really curious about Carmi. There are a lot of teams that, um, that made offers to Eric Comrie in the offseason. Buffalo, I believe, Lance, was the only team that offered the extra year, uh, and that's what put it over the top. Uh, I would have to believe that a lot of that would have been led by Sam Ventura uh, internally. I know that, um, you know, analytically, he uh, he measures out really well um, for those that, that evaluate and measure the game that way. Um, and he was, I mean, until the injury, I know they started out great and there was a little speed bump and then the injury, but that is like, even if he's not like, I look at Eric Carmen and say, okay, even if he's not the goaltender that some in the organization may project him to be, at least he's a bandaid to get you to the next group of goalies that can, that, that you can get a really good look at, you know, like more time with Lukanen. We'll see what happens to, to Levi by that point. At least he, at least he buys you some time. In that in that sort this of was, space, yeah, Are you picking yeah, picking up what I'm Kevin putting Adams down on that one. Stop, yeah, Kevin Adams always wanted to stop gap. Uh, there was 
you know, the, the fan base right now is looking back at the Linus Allmark decision and they're sort of kicking themselves, thinking the Sabres should have signed him or, you know, Grubauer was available then. Should they have gone for him? Of course, this past summer, Vanacek, who so. But Kev Adams wanted somebody two-year deal. That's sort of the time frame. Of course, we know that he made the offer for Matt Murray. That fell through because they wanted, they wanted to be one of these young kids, whether it be Lucan and Levi, and of course, more of a long shot at this point in terms of signing, but Eric Portillo at the University of Michigan. They like what they have there. They like the young goalies. It's a strength of their prospect pipeline right now. And they thought, okay, well, let's not spend $6 million a year long-term on a goalie. Let's, let's try to get somebody like, like Eric Comrie. And I'm with you. I thought that he was really strong. I think some of the analytics this season took a hit because just – there were deflection goals because the Sabres, you know, more inexperienced defensemen weren't tying up sticks. You know, it was, it was messy stuff that really put a blemish on his, on his, really his statistics. And we all know goalies, when they're going to a new team, it can take until about, about the second half of the season for them to really get into a groove and start to understand only the system yeah. around them, how the players around them play. And injuries only make that more challenging. You know, you, you mentioned Eric Portillo, and you know, we're going deep here into the Buffalo Sabres organization with our, with our listeners. But I, I am curious yeah. because he hasn't he hasn't signed. Um, he can become a free agent. You know, after this season at at Michigan, we all know what the Buffalo Sabres went through with with Cal Peterson, uh, who ended up going to the Los Angeles Kings. Is there any indication that? You know the 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 Sabers have designs that they're going to be able to sign this guy at the end of the season. Do we have any sort of indication from either Portillo's camp or or from Kevin Adams? Everything I have heard, both on the record and off, they do not like their chances of signing Eric Portillo. I think that not only him but his representatives have made it clear that. I think with the regime change, the addition of Levi in the summer of 2020 when, you know, 2021, sorry, in the Sam Reinhardt trade, I think that discouraged him a little bit. And right now, I think that they tried the recruiting pitch. Portillo came to development camp over the summer, really seemed to enjoy himself, played, you know, played extremely well in the, in the tournament three-on-three games, but and still all signs point that he's going to go ahead to UFA. And when we're talking about possible trades in terms of Chekrin, Portillo is one of the one of the the pieces that I'm looking for that could be involved in a move here since they got to get something for him if they really don't like their chances it might be time to move on. Wow, that's uh that's an interesting one. I mean, I mean, listen, Arizona needs help at at all positions, but they do need help with the future of the uh the goaltending pipeline that is a great observation by you. Uh Lance, as always, man, thanks so much for stopping by. Really appreciate you uh sharing your insight into one of the more fascinating teams in the NHL. The Buffalo Sabres, a team that's real close to taking that turn, and they have someone who's become appointment television in Tage Thompson. See last night, uh, five goals and one assist as the Buffalo Sabres. As the Buffalo Sabres lead the Columbus Blue Jackets into closing their doors for half an hour after the game, uh, you know you've really done something when a team does that. Uh, Lance, thanks as always for stopping by. Really, really appreciate catching up with you. Thanks, Jeff. Have a great day. Lance Sosowski, uh covers the Buffalo Sabres for the Buffalo News. We spend a lot of time talking about the Buffalo Sabres, I know, but when you have a performance like that by Tage Thompson, and again, and I'll hit it again with Elliot, and we'll see what he thinks about this, when you're that close to history, I know there's the idea of, oh, you don't want to embarrass the other team, but this isn't like you're winning 8-1 to one and you keep throwing out your first unit power play. You're not chasing history when you're doing that. This is Tage Thompson two goals away when he's already got five and 40 minutes chasing a record that has stood going back to 1920. Am I making too much of this? Is this is this just me? Am I making too much of this? Uh, we're going to hit a break here in a uh, couple of moments. Elliot Friedman standing by on the other side from Hockey Night in Canada and 32 Thoughts. Uh, how much time do we have here, Brett, before we hit the top of the hour break? We got 35 seconds. Okay, 35 seconds. So Elliot's going to come up in a couple of moments. Uh, his latest blog is available right now at sportsnet.ca. 32 sort of thoughts uh, as Elliot tries to manage his schedule a little bit better uh, these days. We'll go over some of them that you can read at the uh, at the website. And what we saw last night with the Buffalo Sabres. We should talk about the Canucks. They win last night in overtime again. And headline story, JT Miller didn't see the ice the entire OT Message from Boudreaux to Rutherford. 
I don't know. Maybe he's just trying to win a game. Merrick Show continues across the Sportsnet Radio Network after this. Big opinions and in-depth conversations covering the Leafs, Jays, Raptors, and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkins Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Jeff Merrick Show on the Sportsnet Radio Network. All right, welcome back to the program. Great to have you aboard today. I was wild last night eh, with Kate Thompson. I know I made a lot and will probably continue to do so about the five goals that could have slash should have been either six or seven or dare we even say eight to set a new record. But he even really wasn't given the chance. But I've groused about that now for two hours and I can already start to sense the eyes glazing over. So let's bring uh, Matt Marchese, our producer here, into the conversation. Hello, Matty. Oh, you don't want me to talk about Tage Thompson more? Well, what do you think? Am I on to something or am I making too much of this? Like, you're chasing history. You got a shot at it. Like, hey, this is record book stuff. Like, hey, you want to write your name into the Hockey Hall of Fame, kiddo? Yeah, too bad. You're going to play three minutes and 55 seconds. You're going to do two things, nothing and like it. Yeah, it's it's garbage. It's garbage. Like, are we are we at a point? Are we at a point in hockey where at the professional level we are like, oh, yeah. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Like this is not minor hockey where you stop celebrating Better a goal after five. Like, well, that's what it felt like. Like, oh, we can't, we can't hurt Columbus's feelings here. No, Tage, you need to sit down because you already scored five goals. Yeah. You don't need any more. That's garbage. Let them get the record because yeah. here's the here's the one thing, Jeff. There are not very many opportunities in the National Hockey League where we see single game records broken just because the game has changed so much. That's true. When he has an opportunity to break a record like that, you should absolutely, absolutely let him break it. Because guess what? I think he could have broken it last night because it felt like everything he touched went in the net. Mm, I don't know, man. Eight goals is hard. Uh, Eight goals. It goes, it goes really hard. But I sure mean, at least is. give him a chance at it. Like, not like, yeah, here's five shifts, uh, three minutes and 55. Now, now sit down. We're just going to wait this one out and take our two points from Nationwide. I don't know. Um, anyway, for uh, we'll see how people feel about that one. Whether you like it or not, it's like, I because I am legitimately curious. Like, just hit me up on Twitter, uh, either on my, uh, yeah, uh, at Jeff Merrick or, or my DMs are open, dare I say. Uh, go for it. I'm, I am really curious to see how people feel about this one. And I would be really curious as well to know how Tate Thompson feels about it. Because publicly, he's going to say all the right things. He's that kind of athlete, you know, second-generation hockey player. His dad, Brent, uh, played in the NHL for a long time. Now the coach of the Bridgeport, Bridgeport Sound Tigers. But I wonder if, you know, going back to the hotel last night, Tate Thompson saying to himself, only five shifts, three minutes in the third period. I could have tied an NHL record. That stands for a hundred years, more than a hundred years. Ah. Five goals is pretty nice. It was good. Did you see the visuals of uh, Granado handing him the pucks after the game in the room? Yeah, I, the taped up I pucks. I did. I did. It was like uh, awesome. it was like the magician pulling out the uh, the kerchiefs, and they keep going <laughs> and going and going. I don't know Adam where he sleeves. had room for five yeah. pucks in his pants. Like I have no idea. You know the great puck and pants story. Do you know this one? You know why pants? You know why pucks are frozen in the NHL? No, I don't. Okay, I'm going to I'm going to give you a Cliff Clavin moment here. So the reason <laughs> oh, yes. that pucks are frozen in the NHL. Okay, so here you go, history lesson. Okay, I'm going to bore everybody. But this is this is this is why pucks are frozen now. So what used to happen is so the home team used to always be responsible to provide the pucks for the game. And what and I believe it was the Maple Leafs. I don't know who the coach is. I'll, I'll, I'll look it up. But there was a Maple Leafs coach who would always make sure that he kept one puck in his pocket. Okay? So it was a warm puck. So at the end of a game, if you're sitting on like a two-to-one lead, he wouldn't, and like a minute left or a minute and a half or two minutes or whatever, he'd instruct his defenseman to fire the puck into the stands. Now, this is before it was automatic two-minute minor for shooting the puck out of play. It didn't exist then. And so the referee would come over to the bench and the coach would pull out the warm puck and hand it to the official. Now, Maddie, you've played and coached hockey a long, long time. 
What happens to a warm puck on freezing cold ice? It might, it might as well be a tennis bounces. ball. <laughs> Good luck completing passes if you're trying for a comeback. I'm not sure how long this coach and I gotta like I try to remember it was it I try to remember who the who the coach was. Uh, I don't know how long he got away with it, but that was part of the impetus to get the NHL to to start freezing pucks and have a a neutral party hold the pucks as well. So it didn't just come out of the head coach of the home team's pocket. Yeah, here you go. Here's a here's a rubber ball now. Go go play the last minute and a half as we try to nurse this one or two goal lead. So that sounds like a Roger Nielsen strategic. thing, doesn't it? It was it does, but this was decades before. That yeah, was de- it does great, sound though. like a Roger Nielsen thing. You're bang on, but that was uh, that was well before Roger Nielsen was a head coach of the even Peterborough Peets for that matter. But for the purposes of this conversation, the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay, so to the QOD because I'm sure you got some doozies outside of Connor and Leon, who are the best show in hockey. Period. Who is must watch in the NHL right now? What do people come back with? Um, well, we had lots of Tage Thompson, but there's some that have Tage Thompson and somebody else. So I'll go through the list that I put together that I thought was really interesting. Um, this one from, uh, the stay at home fad show, uh, not the stay at home dad show, the stay at home fad show, um, Tage, the rage and Jeff, you will appreciate this. And the UFC undercard featuring Jordan Binnington. <laughs> yeah, I think we're all waiting. And I think the date, by the way, I looked this up the other day. I think the date is February 21st. Now, a number of things, I think it's February 21st. Um, a number of things have to align for this to happen. But I'm of the belief that if any other goaltender, because Mike Smith's not part of the equation anymore, if any other goaltender is going to finally give Jordan Bennington his fight, it's Peter Kachetkov of the Carolina Hurricanes. Now, a number of things have to happen. Like, Carolina has to have the appropriate number of goaltenders injured, which may happen, which would allow Kachetkov to be in that game to begin with. But I think it's February 21, Maddie. That's a date that I have circled. That might be the one that if Bennington gets a little goofy, as he's been known to, Kachetkov might be might be the guy. He now for those that don't know the name or don't remember Kachetkov, he was the goaltender. Remember last year who got in Patrice or not Patrice Bergeron, but Brad, Brad Marchand? Marchand's face in that yeah in that in that Carolina Boston game. That's who we're talking about here. Yeah, I I honestly wonder some, and I don't want to get too far into this, but I honestly wonder if it's yeah. even going to be a goalie at yeah. this point because now he's starting to try and hit players, and mm-hmm. if I'm a player and I'm coming around the net and he tries to take a run at me, like I may lose it. Mm, I know what you mean. I Eesh. listen. There have been goalies that are listen. Uh, the late Ray Emery, one of the best hockey fights you'll ever see, is Ray Emery and Josh Gratton. Um, so there are. You know, there there is a lot of historical prep. Uh, b- 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 Billy Smith would fight uh, players, fought Lindy Ruff famously after uh, after poking him in the eye or in the face. Um, so it's not Craig Steffen would have fought players as well. Glenn Hanlon, I believe, fought players. So it's not as if it hasn't happened before. Man, I just don't know about it happening right now. But when you consider, like, hang on a second, catch myself here. Like, shut up, Merrick. Like, considering how goofy this season has been, why not? Yeah. <laughs> like is, has this not has it, like honestly, Matt? Like has this not been the anything goes season? Like don't put it past anything to happen. Like that's just the way this year has been, right? Like I maybe uh, I would dismiss the idea of a of a position player fighting Jordan Bennington. Eh, maybe I shouldn't. No, maybe I should just say like cra- you, Matt. Yeah, crazy. it could happen. Could happen. Yeah, could happen. I agree. Um, okay, this one from General Soreness, who tweets us a lot and and provides some very good Love insight. It. Um, Kirill Kaprizov, and he posted uh, a yes. graphic from last night's broadcast. And Kirill Kaprizov owns the record for assist streak, point streak, and goal streak. And no other player in NHL history holds all three records with the same franchise. Ah. Um, and he's Kaprizov. Yes, he is intensely fun to watch, and I like many. And Barzell does this as well, but they all have their different flair about it. 
Kaprizov gets such momentum and such speed when he does that, when he circles the offensive zone and just scans for passes and scans for lanes and scans for shooting opportunities. To me, it's one of the best. And you, 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 whenever you see it, it's like, oh, yeah, that's like the the signature play. Like, oh, yeah, I get to see the Kaprizov. Like, we're at the point where don't you want to call that the Kaprizov? I know Danny Safar did it a million years ago. I get that. But um, he has the Savardian spin. The way the, the, yeah, the, the, but just, but just like how fast he is when he's doing it. Oh, yeah. Like some guys will sort of coast, coast, we've seen other guys do it, but they're sort of coasting through it and weaving. This guy does it at top speed. That's what makes that one even more impressive than when Matthew Barzell does it with the Islanders. Yeah, he's, he is like on a different level when it comes to that. I just, I yeah, love watching awesome. him. I, I, and you know what? I would put the tandem of him and Matt Zuccarello in that conversation because I think that they share the yeah, same brain. Fun. Yeah, you're not wrong. Those are uh, those two are fun to watch too. I mean, Leon right. Connor though, like that's yeah, different planet. Yeah. All right. Okay. This one's actually one of my favorites that was sent in. Um, and it's a, the person's right. name is it's Steve, not Tony. Um, they gave us the my, the all time must watch outside of Connor and Leon team. So it's obviously current. Um, at forward, Tate okay. Thompson, Jason Robertson, Jack Hughes on defense, Rasmus Dahlin, Eric Carlson in net, Jordan Bennington. And this is my favorite part with play by play from Jack Michaels in the dying minute of a one goal game. <laughs> Who's the coach? You're missing a coach. I want a coach back there. Is oh, it just the, the obvious John Tortorella? Or do you need or do you need John Tortorella? Like you want you want Jack Michaels in the one goal game. Do you do you need though? Do you need though John Tortorella when his after his team loses by a goal? That might be that might be it, but I will I will say this: a guy who is really underrated to watch on the bench, especially because he has a really dry sense of humor. And when we hear we see it Paul in Maurice? interviews, and yes, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Paul Maurice, you know what he what he might be the best at? Hmm. I don't know if there's another coach out there that chews gum as aggressively as Paul Maurice. <laughs> Pat Quinn. This, used is, to. this is how frivolous we're getting on this program. Like, we'll put that out there. Who chews gum more aggressively behind the bench than Paul Maurice? You know, you think of like what coaches will do back there, Keenan with the ice chips. Um, but I don't think anyone chews gum as hard as Paul Maurice does. Anyone come close for you, Maddie? It was the late Pat As far as Quinn aggressive gum chewers behind the bench. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. That's a that's my a good grandfather. My All grandfather right, used to do impressions of him. And my he used to do impressions of Pat oh, Quinn yeah? all the time, chewing gum on the bench. Oh yeah, oh yeah. He thought it was great. <laughs> that's fantastic. I love. All it. right, uh, here's here's another one. Um, this one from Nick Vanny, and he says, in terms of skill and exciting hockey, probably Tage Thompson or Jason Robertson, as most have said. Said, but here's an unpopular answer: yeah. Nico Heischer. The okay. guy is quietly so good and is so fundamental to why the Devils are dominating right now. Love how he reads and plays the game. Yeah, because, and it's like when he's out there and, you know, the combination, I mean, either the, and I don't think it really matters what the pair is. Like, you can make the argument that Dougie Hamilton and Jonas Siegenthaler uh, are the number one pair. Then you can, you know, look at Marino and Graves and say, well, no, they get the harder assignments. But it seems as if, you know, when he sure and Hamilton are on the ice, um, no one else touches the puck. It was like Bergeron and Chara in, like, 2011. When those two were on the ice, like, the possession numbers are through the roof, like, 65 70% or whatever it was. Um, yeah, you're right. Like, you have to be – like, you have to really be able to appreciate, like, a lot of a lot of subtlety, I think. Like, you have to appreciate, like, a lot of things that go into what makes a Selkie Trophy candidate um, to, to appreciate that. Like, I always loved – I mean, I always loved Marion Hosa just for well, for a lot of things. But the one thing I loved about Hosa more than anything else was watching him take bad passes. You know, watching yep. players throw like junk at him, like just throw like a crinkled up pop cans at him and no problem. I can take that pass. Throw it behind me. I can take that pass. Chuck it in my skates. Yeah, no problem. I got this. A little bit ahead of me. Yeah, sure. No problem. And that's why I always used to love watching Hosa to watch guys throw garbage passes at him. And him still able to scoop it up like he's playing lacrosse. 
just like that one specific skill. Um, but he sure's the same way, man. Like he's got like a real brilliant subtlety about him that, listen, man, he's in sulky trophy convo. He's in sulky trophy range. And I'm not going to disagree with that person that tweeted in. He's one of my favorites. Yeah, uh, this one from Chucky Picks. Uh, I know you like to claim Father mm. Time is undefeated, but man alive, I've enjoyed watching a 35-year-old Sidney Crosby play like a 28-year-old Sidney Crosby. He's got Father Time on the yeah. ropes so far this season. Father Time will always win. Don't worry. Father Time is patient. Uh, Father Time will outlast you. Father Time uh, like Father Time is the, is the fighter that's not going to win in the first round with the knockout but it's going to win the 12-round decision, or I guess 10 rounds now, but or 15 rounds way, way back in the day. It's going to win the decision in the last round. It will always win. But I, I agree. Like, I, I, wonder how much of, um, I wonder how much of a shot in the arm it was for, for Crosby specifically to see the Penguins keeping the band together for one last run at this thing, and Crosby probably saying to himself, this is my last real shot at this. Right. Like I'm, you know, 30, what is he? 35 now, 36 and saying like, okay, this is, this, this, this is it. This is it. We've kept the band back together for one more shot at this. I'm going to give this my best. And Crosby's best is still, even in his mid thirties, still better than most in the NHL, even amongst the elites. All right. We got like a minute and a half. We got time. Let's try to squeeze in two more, two more quickies here. Yeah, one for sure. Uh, uh, this one from J.D. LaGrange. Uh, Jason Robertson in Dallas okay. is definitely worth, worth watching, obviously. But fans other than Habs fans would be yep. surprised if they watched more of the Caulfield-Suzuki-Doc line in Montreal, in my opinion. Yeah. Suzuki's vision is amazing, yep. and I do not disagree with that. 100% true. We can move on to the next one because I'm not disagreeing with anything that that person said, man. Suzuki is elite. And that battery with Caulfield and Doc, like, whew. Yeah, it's all great. And they got the perfect coach for them, too, in Marty St. Louis. Perfect coach. They do. All right, and this one, uh, the last one, from at Riot Survivor. Uh, They're from Vancouver. So uh, Elias Pedersen. He's playing the best hockey of his career right now. Sure, sure he's is. playing the best. No, with 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 without without a doubt, Pedersen is playing the best hockey of his career right now, and you see it night in and night out. Whether they're getting blown out, and you know, I, uh, was it Joey Kenward sent me something today uh, from Vancouver saying that um, I think it's in every. I hope I'm getting this right. In every Vancouver win, either Bo Horvat or Elias Pedersen have scored a goal this year. But this is like make no mistake about it. And this is high praise because when he burst on the scene, he was super elite. This is the best we've ever seen him play. I'll take I'll take Elias Pettersson all day long as well. Some good ones. Um, thanks for chiming in on that one, the QOD. Uh, thanks to Elliot Friedman, as always, for stopping by. Lance Lasowski of the Buffalo News talking about Tage Thompson and five goals. That should have been six or seven. Mike Rupp of the NHL Network. Rupper, you're a beaut. Always good to have you aboard. Always good to have you aboard as well. Thanks for listening or watching. We're back tomorrow.